This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Richard Duggan in the studio with you once again. Linda is off this week. Uh, and thank you all so much for tuning into the program. It's another absolutely gorgeous day out there. Uh, I was just looking at current temperatures across the province uh, just before we went on the air there. And I think the, pretty much the entire island are in the upper 20s right now. A little bit cooler in Labrador. Lab City, I think, was around 18 degrees. Uh, Happy Valley Goose Bay around 22. So still another gorgeous day. Um, around the province and there's a lot of news going on today there's lots to talk about uh and uh we are going oh oh i should also mention that fonts king is producing the program today and uh, we'll probably be jumping in from time to time for a little chat throughout today's program as well uh before we get in to uh, the first interview of today. I do want to mention, and I know we mentioned it in the news, uh, we've mentioned it a couple of times on the air today, but it bears repeating that the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary is warning of the presence of fentanyl in the community. I uh, sent out a news release a couple of hours ago saying that they've received information that the substance is present in illicit drugs in the province, uh, specifically in cocaine, and uh, they are warning that even a, a very small, minuscule amount of that drug can be fatal so um, it bears repeating that you know if you are uh, going to partake in using some illicit drugs uh, make sure you have an naloxone kit there with you uh, could save your life uh, and if you want to know where you can get one of those kits uh, hop on over vocm.com uh, we have information on there about where exactly you can find one of those and where exactly you can get one that being said, uh, we're going to move on to the first interview here on today's program. And uh, earlier today, I was down at the Munn Medical School because the provincial government uh, is providing more details on the RFP that has been issued for the proposed expansion of the Munn Medical School. Uh, they want to expand the program by 10 seats, uh, and that would be 10 seats per year. So it's a four-year program, so that would be 40 new students in total, um, with the end goal being that more medical professionals want to practice in the province. Uh, they say that the more students that study here, the more likely it is that they are going to stay here and practice. Um, last week, that RFP was issued, uh, and the successful applicant is going to look at what would be required to expand the program. So earlier this morning, Health Minister Tom Osborne, Munn Provost and Vice President Academic Dr. Jennifer Lokash, and Acting Dean of the School of Medicine Dr. Dolores McKean spoke with media. Uh, I was there, and here's what was said. Well, thank you everybody for joining uh, the Department of Education and MUNMED uh, today for uh, what we think will be exciting news. Um, together, uh, we have um, uh, gone forward with an RFP looking to expand the number of seats at MUNMED. As you know, last year we increased the number of seats by five for Newfoundland and Labrador students. Uh, the hope is through this RFP is uh, asking the, uh, the proponent to look at um, expanding uh, seats by roughly another 10 seats. Uh, if the capacity is there, uh, there are logistics, obviously, preceptors, uh, the capacity within the school. So we will take guidance from the RFP on the number of seats, but we're certainly looking to expand the number of seats at MUNMED again. Uh, it is a, an incredibly good medical school uh, that produces incredibly competent doctors. 
And the reason we increased the number of seats last year and hoping to again is we know that students from Newfoundland and Labrador who study in Newfoundland and Labrador tend to stay in Newfoundland and Labrador. This will be a source of uh, physicians. So if you look at the five we have there, uh, the five additional seats, that's five doctors uh, once they get through the program and, and uh, that class starts to graduate, it's five doctors every year thereafter additional. If we are able to add another 10, that's an extra 15 doctors each and every year that will be added to uh, the, uh, the, competent, or the, the, the pool of doctors in Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, with that, uh, I will pass it over to MunMed uh, to make some comments. Thank you. Hello, I'm Jennifer Lokash. I'm the Provost and Vice President Academic Pro Tempore. Uh, first, I just want to say thank you very much to the government for uh, supporting the RFP process, which we see as um, you know, us doing our due diligence in order to ensure that we can increase the number of seats in the program without compromising the quality of the students and, of course, our future doctors education. So, um, yes, I just thank you so much for, for being willing to support it, and I'm happy to answer any questions. I don't know if our acting dean of the med school wants to add anything at this point. No? Um, I would just say that uh, here at the Faculty of Medicine and Memorial University, we're very happy to partner with the government of Newfoundland to try to be solutions-oriented and to try to be part of the solution for solving our primary health care crisis here in Newfoundland. And we see this as one uh, part of many things that we uh, hopefully will partner with the government to do. Why was an RFP needed in this case? Why couldn't this analysis sort of be done internally? Probably ask either Jennifer or Dolores to answer that. But from government's perspective, we agree the integrity of uh, MunMed is important to both uh, Memorial and to government. And we do want to increase the number of seats, but we need to make sure we do it right. Uh, we don't want to um, increase capacity where capacity is difficult to achieve. Uh, so the, the RFP will guide us in how we do that. Again, uh, you know, once a student gets to the residency stage, we need preceptors. Uh, there is capacity within the school, and you guys are better to speak to that than I am. So, yeah. Um, I, I would say that, you know, it sounds like 10 seats is just a small ask, but in fact, it's 10 seats every year, so we're really asking to accommodate an additional 40 students in the program. Uh, in order to do that right, um, we feel that we need to do our due diligence to explore all of the resource implications. Um, you know, this is a really important educational opportunities for our students and, of course, for our communities on the other end. Uh, so, so as, as the minister said we really need to do this correctly and this is a way of achieving that. Uh, before the RFP happens, how do instructors feel about it now? Do they think they could handle that load of students coming in? Um, I certainly think that our faculty, uh, especially post-COVID, are really starting to feel the squeeze um, in terms of the increased clinical requirements and demands that are being made of them, as well as research and educational um, experiences that we have to provide. So um, we definitely um, want to be able to provide the best educational experience, and faculty are, want to be engaged and want to be part of this, but we need to make sure that they are appropriately resourced in order for us not to, uh, not to put too much burden or strain on them in this very um, sort of, I think, resource-constrained environment. We have to be careful. 
Uh, I've heard anecdotally from students at the med school right now who say that they don't want to stay in Newfoundland once they've graduated, they're getting out of here. How do you know that bringing in the more students is going to lead to more doctors here? Um, I'll ask either Jennifer or Dolores to speak to that as well, but I mean the numbers speak for themselves. Uh, we had 42 uh, residents this year uh, signed on to do a three-year return in service. Uh, that was an increase from the number of residents we had last year. So the number, uh, you know, we were very pleased with the number of residents that signed on. We have, uh, you know, further to that, 11 um, uh, students uh, in, in the uh, pre-med program uh, that have signed on for a return in service as well. Uh, so we've focused on recruitment of our own. Um, you know, the, the health authority, uh, government recognized we weren't doing enough to recruit our own students, but it is working. The 42 speaks for itself. I believe last year uh, the number was closer to 30, so we've had a significant increase this year in the number of residents that want to and are willing to stay in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, I, I think that the faculty of medicine here at Memorial University has an actually remarkably good track record for training uh, not only primary care physicians, both in family medicine and generalist specialists, uh, but we have a, an amazing track record. We keep almost 60% of our classes here, particularly uh, those who complete their postgraduate training here in, fa in family medicine. The faculty of medicine here at Memorial University has received uh, recognition for our success in uh, matching uh, learners to uh, rural training programs and for having the highest percentage of our graduates actually work in remote and rural locations. And that recognition was through the Society of, uh, of uh, the SRPC, uh, the Keith Award. So um, we can provide you some more information on that after. And there you have it. That was Health Minister Tom Osborne, uh, Mun Provost, Vice President, Academic, Dr. Jennifer Lokash, and Dr. Dolores McKean. She is the Acting Dean of the School of Medicine. Uh, we spoke with them earlier today about this proposed expansion of the Mun Medical School, which they say uh, will end up helping uh, recruitment and retention initiatives uh, within the province. And also, I should mention, uh, we asked... Um, the health minister about the collective agreement that was just ratified with uh, the nurses union and Tom Osborne says he's very happy with it and also touts the fact that that will uh, go a long way in terms of recruitment and retention uh, because of uh, their salaries are now in his words uh, more competitive uh, with the rest of the country all right uh, we're going to take a quick break here now on news talk and when we come back We'll have some reaction to that story, plus we're also going to talk about a situation involving Ukrainians with NDP leader Jim Din. Don't go away. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. And welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for spending your Tuesday afternoon with us here on your VOCM. Richard Duggan in for Linda Swain uh, for today. And uh, before we get into Jim Din, I just want to mention that I just got the alert on my phone here that a heat warning has now been issued uh, for the St. John's metro area for tomorrow. Uh, so that'll be Wednesday continuing into Thursday. They're saying that uh, daytime temperature is going to be near 29 degrees with a humidex of 34 tomorrow. So going to be uh, a very hot weather one and keep in mind too if you're going to be out and around make sure you have your sunscreen your hat uh, and some hydration as well because 
this heat can really creep up on you even in for you know the people who say that they spend hours outside every day every single week uh, can creep up on you too so make sure you take the proper precautions all right let's get into our next interview now and that is with jim din uh, so just before the break we heard from uh health minister tom osborne as well as representatives from memorial university talking about the proposed expansion of the school of medicine um so now we are going to hear from jim din for his reaction to that story and uh i should mention as well that we also reached out to the pcs to get their reaction to this story uh couldn't quite line up something for today but we will be getting their reaction uh for that when they are available as well um so we're going to get to Jim Din, and earlier when I spoke to Jim, um, the timing actually couldn't have been better because just a few minutes earlier, the NDP sent out a news release uh, essentially accusing government of evicting Ukrainians from their temporary accommodations. So first we'll get Jim Din's reaction to the proposed medical school expansion, and then we'll dive into the situation uh, involving Ukrainians. I'm looking at the media advisory, and the one word that, uh, I guess, or the phrase that stands out in this is the, to discuss the potential expansion of the Memorial Faculty of Ed- uh, Medicine undergraduate, uh, undergraduate program. So I, I guess if I, I'm, I'm looking at potential it's pretty nebulous. It's not concrete, um, and I, you know, it's it's almost like a non a non news release. Now, having said that, uh, I think if if indeed they were going ahead with this in the long, uh, this is going to be the case. Expanding the uh, faculty of medicine undergraduate program, it will help, no doubt about it. In terms of, uh, I think where we need to focus is what I'm hearing from constituents and people across the province with the with family medicine, having a, a family doctor or a primary care provider uh, as a person who's still without that, uh, you know, and uh, that's the kind of information I'm looking for. So. It's good to have that if indeed this is going to happen, um, then that's the, that's a long-term solution. But then it's going to come down to how do you make sure that those people who uh, go through this program stay here? Um, well, I'm hearing from doctors, uh, Richard, very clearly, even in terms of the issues that they're having with MCP, uh, family doctors, it's not encouraging people to stay here. They are leaving and going elsewhere, and that uh, you still have a, a group of people then who are left without that primary care uh, and can, are finding it difficult to ask and access the uh, uh, the clinics, the collaborative care clinics, or the community uh, clinics. It comes down to having that access to primary care that so many uh, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians still don't have. So last week, government announced that they're going. They've issued an RFP to see if um, expanding the program is feasible, and so, uh, so an outside consultant will be coming in to look at that. Do you think that's a wise use of money, or do you think that this sort of a review is something that should be done internally? Well, I, I think it can be done internally. I, I, if, but then again, that comes down to one, uh, the one thing we've seen in a lot of these uh, is, the, is the lack of people who are working in the system or the vacancies that are there, uh, and not just in healthcare, but in other in other jurisdictions. So I think they've got a problem here. It's a human resources problem, but you know, there's potential of doing this internally. But uh, and and. Uh, they, they, these are the people. We've got highly trained people who who know what to do. We've got frontline workers.
workers, uh, frontline healthcare workers, whether they're doctors, nurses, uh, uh, you know, um, practical nurses, you name it, uh, LPNs, and so on and so forth, who can tell you what needs to be done. I think they can figure this out. Uh, we uh, we know that there's a shortage of doctors. We know that we're going to need, if we're going to expand the program, we're going to need to uh, attract p- uh, good uh, people to do, to do the work, uh, to do the instruction, and so on and so forth, to run the program. Uh, it, it still comes down to that human resources um, piece, and internally, yeah, we can can do it. But again, I'm going to go back to the key thing here: is that if you expand the program, you attract more people to do the uh, to uh, to do the uh, undergraduate program here. What's going to be in place to make sure that we retain, we recruit, and we retain those new those those new medical professionals to stay in the province? That, and that seems to be the issue that we're 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 facing. I'm still talking to doctors who are are, are probably at wit's end in many cases, and nurses too. Jim, then on another topic, uh, the NDP uh, just very recently put out a release talking about a uh, situation involving Ukrainians being evicted. Um, can you just walk us through what your par- party is hearing? So this. Today is Tuesday. Um, this weekend, uh, or this uh, Sunday, Monday, I was contacted by a co- a volunteers who have been working with uh, Ukrainian uh, newcomers uh, since they first arrived. And they were deeply concerned by the letter that uh, a number of the people that they've been working with have received that they have uh, either that they they uh, that their request for an extension to stay at the hotel has been denied or that they have an extension of 2 weeks to basically define uh, alternate living arrangements i did speak to uh, uh, several uh, members of the ukrainian com- uh, community to uh, uh, to uh, who uh, have received these letters they're distraught uh, there is no uh, there uh, there is no place to, to uh, for them to live, and they don't and no place that they can afford. Some of them are highly trained individuals who are working at minimum wage jobs if they're lucky, um, and they're they just don't know where to go. And they're, uh, you can understand the anxiety. The people who are working uh, who've been volunteering with them since the beginning are angry, uh, and they're upset. And uh, basically, you know, why are why Knowing that we have a housing shortage, why are we? Um, why, are, why is government, uh, or through the NC, issuing these um, uh, issuing these letters? Um, you know, if anything else, if you if there if there's no housing here, and there is, it, it's. It, I know from my own experience here, trying to help people, housing is at a premium. It's impossible to find people a place, a decent place to live. Then sending out this uh, this kind of a letter is really not helpful. Um, but, you know, Richard, I guess the one thing I've been sounding the alarm on this for a while, I think everyone in this province deserves uh, deserves housing, whether they've been, they were born here, they've been here for the last 10, 20 years, or if they just arrived. And I think that's where government needs to focus on it in making sure that there is um, affordable, non-market, uh, community-based uh, housing available. And that's something they knew there was a problem with when they started the program to bring newcomers in. They knew that back in uh, May, March and May of last year. They had time to start to address that issue, and they've, been, they've failed 
have failed to address that issue, and they're putting countless people um, in a precarious position of facing homelessness. And whether, like I said, people who, uh, whether they've been here for decades, born here, or the newcomers, it's, it's just unacceptable. What needs to happen? What should government do in the short term? Because obviously, this is a very immediate need now that uh, these Ukrainians are facing. So, what should government do in the immediate term to help them? You know, um, we, we the the best time to plant a tree would have been twenty years ago. The best time, the second best time is now. So, I know they put out now in response to this um that you know they're looking for people to take ukrainians into their homes that's great that's it depending if, if families and homes have that capacity but maybe it's, it's time to start looking at some of the uh some look at looking immediately looking at the uh uh it, we have a number of government buildings that were that are that were that that were sold or basically are still un- vacant. I think of Hoyles Escasoni, for example. I think of some of the church properties that uh, you know that we could start looking at, maybe converting to affordable non-market type housing or you know uh, through some arrangement or modular homes. We have government we have government land here that that can be uh, put in, in in the short term. But that's not in the immediate effect. The immediate thing is, if we know we don't have, if government knows that it does not have um, this capacity at this point in time, I would make sure I would rescind all those uh, those letters uh, and, and, and first solve the housing problem, uh, make sure that we've got places that we can put people in. Uh, and before we start looking at sending out uh, letters basically saying you have Two weeks or uh, three weeks or whatever else to to to, to move out of your accommodate uh, out of the hotel. Uh, accept that fact. That's the immediate thing. Do uh, do not put people through that turmoil, but look at uh, resolving the housing issue. Not just and, and not just for Ukrainians, but for all people. We know that there's a growing housing crisis right across this province. You need to start addressing that issue. Well, there's Jim Din's reaction to the situation. Coming up after news with Noah Shepard, we're going to hear Immigration Minister Jerry Burns' reaction. He had a pretty fiery response to what the NDP had to say when I spoke to him earlier. We're going to bring you that coming up after the news. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your V. EOCM. Thanks, Noah, and welcome back to News Talk. Uh, I'm Richard Duggan filling in for Linda Swain today. And before we get to uh, Jerry Byrne talking about the situation with Ukrainians, I did want to share this, uh, talking in the weather just now about heat warnings in effect for the island. And uh, yesterday on News Talk, we I, I had mentioned that I had seen this post out of Arizona, and I think Fonz will be interested in this too, um, about this 300-pound ice block okay. that... Uh, they had that this news station out in Arizona, CBS, had put out on their lawn, and they were waiting to see how long it would take to melt. And Fonz, how long do you think it took? 300 pounds of ice put on the lawn in Arizona heat. Let's give it three hours. Oh, much longer than that. Really? Keeping in mind that it was about 46 degrees in Arizona yesterday, which is wild i know but so i went and i looked up uh the meteorologist for this news station ian, ian schwartz is his name okay and it survived for over 24 hours really 
fascinating. Early this morning is is when it finally ceased to be, I guess we'll say. And uh, here's a clip from that meteorologist. Good Tuesday morning. What did update you on our 300-pound block of ice? Did it melt? It's actually still here. 24 hours later. Let me switch it around. Now, I had to mark it because it is barely... I mean, it is barely there. See that? That's all that's left. (laughs) A little shard (laughs) of ice. So if you guessed 24 hours later, the ice still exists. It survived the 116 degree heat. Isn't that crazy? I can't like... I can't fathom it. Like when when we have those spring snowstorms and stuff like, like the snow i guess it's the difference between snow and ice right snow got a lot of air in it ice has a lot less that is true yeah right yeah so that's why i was thinking yeah you know what yeah we we've had those snowfalls and it's gotten up to like 10 degrees and the snow's gone in hours but mm-hmm. yeah no that's a that's a lot longer than i expected it, way longer than I expected. Yeah, I, I probably would have been on par with you. I would have said three, maybe five hours max, but over a day. But anyway, I guess I know the next science experiment that we're going to have to do here with the heat warnings in effect across the province. Big chunk of ice. That's what we got to do. That, that sounds like a great idea. Here you go. I'm going to get on it. All right, we'll check in with Fonz King now on the ice experiment at VOCM. Uh, We're going to move on now here on News Talk. And uh, just before the break, uh, we heard Jim Din discussing a situation involving Ukrainians where they say that government is going to essentially evict them from their temporary housing accommodations. Uh, We heard what Jim Din had to say about it earlier. Well, I reached out to Immigration Minister Jerry Byrne to to hear his reaction to the situation, and he had some fiery comments uh, for the NDP about what's going on. It's very unfortunate that the New Democratic Party and Jim Din, uh, their interim leader, has decided to take this approach. We had the Association for New Canadians reach out directly to the NDP. Uh, Megan Morris, the executive director of an extremely well-respected Association for New Canadians, the ANC, Uh, sat them down and explained to them the details of what is happening with the Association for New Canadians program for Ukrainians. There are no evictions. There are some expectations that uh, Ukrainians move and move reasonably quickly into community where it's possible. We have to remember, it is the Association for New Canadians, the ANC, which are experts in this field. They've been supporting refugees for over 40 years in our province. They know this and they know it well. They know how to help. This, in my mind, is a real slap in the face to the ANC. It's a real effort to undermine public confidence in them because it is the ANC who says and knows that it's really important for these Ukrainian refugees to get out into community as quickly and as reasonably soon as possible. So with that said, it is important also to report to listeners that there are Ukrainians that have been in the hotel for an extended period of time. In fact, you will recall, we've, we did offer, expect, a, a, we gave a, a partial notice back in April of this year that we expect and hope that Ukrainians will work with the ANC to move further and faster into community. And we've provided generous incentive programs, support programs for them to do so, both in terms of employment, language training, and housing. 
That was 110 days ago. There are still some Ukrainians that have gained successfully employment in our province uh, that have been looking at apartments and housing and have just decided that, no, they won't take on this. They've, they've had offers of housing, but just chose not to take those offers, that they chose that they'll wait for something different or maybe better. Well, the truth is, is that it's really important for those Ukrainians to get out into community, especially those that have already found work in our province, especially those that have already been examining housing options and have simply said, well, maybe there might be something that better come along. No, that's not the norm, but there are examples of that. And that's one of the reasons why the ANC are saying, you know, we've given 110 days. It maybe time to work a little harder, a little uh, deeper, to get out into the community, and we will help you do that. There will be no evictions for anybody who's marginalized or vulnerable, but there will be an expectation that those who have jobs, those that can find jobs, those that have language, good language skills, those that have housing that's available to them, they'll take that housing option. Always remember, there are 3,000 Ukrainians in our province. 2,200 have already found housing. So we'll work with the remaining 800, and we'll get them in the community, and we'll do so. And hopefully we'll have more Ukrainians to come uh, when uh, we are successful with that. So when I spoke to Jim Din earlier, um, he said that he had been speaking with some of the Ukrainians who, who had reached out to their party and who says that they're uh, stressed and they're trying to figure out what to do uh, if they do have to leave. So for, for those Ukrainians that reached out to the NDP, where should they turn? What should they do? Well, the same uh, individual, the same organization that turned to the NDP is who the N uh, Ukrainians should turn to, and that's the Association for New Canadians. Megan Morris, the executive director of the ANC, reached out to a senior member of the NDP caucus just yesterday, providing them with full details and information about not only the, uh, the number of individuals that are in uh, temporary accommodations, but also the number of people that found housing, jobs, getting language supports, other, uh, other factors which are so critical and important to resettlement. Megan Morris reached out directly to them and to inform them of that, uh, of that information. The NDP chose not to say any of that when they called the VOCM news station. What they chose to say is that they had been speaking to someone and this is what they heard. The NDP are trying to undermine confidence in the Association for New Canadians, and I don't think that they will succeed with that because the Association for New Canadians is a really, really great organization that people have trust and confidence in. Mr. Byrne, do you know how many uh, Ukrainians are currently staying in temporary accommodations in the province? There are 3,000 Ukrainians in our province. 2,200 have already found independent market-based community housing. There are approximately 800 Ukrainians that arrived relatively recently in our province, and they are staying in temporary accommodations, and we're working with them uh, to get them out into the uh, into market-based community housing as quickly as possible. And we're providing very generous supports to be able to do so. We have a huge public trust in the ANC and their competence, their expertise, uh, and their empathy when it comes to refugees. They've got 40 years of experience with this. What the ANC tells us uh, 
is that sometimes when you come from a very traumatic experience, there may be a reluctance on the part of the refugee to move from where, what they know into something uh, that may be different, into community. It's one of the reasons why the ANC have really, really driven home the point that we really, it's not healthy for people to be staying in hotel accommodations for a lengthy period of time. It's why the ANC believes that now is a good time to work with those Ukrainian refugees to get them out into market housing, the same as they've already worked with the 2,200 who've been successful in doing so. And that is the objective here. So we have full confidence in the ANC. We have full confidence in our Ukrainians to contribute to our community, and we're going to see this through by doing the right thing for the right reasons. Excellent, Minister Byrne. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. And there you have it. That was Immigration Minister Jerry Byrne discussing uh, the release from the NDP earlier today, talking about a uh, situation involving Ukrainians and housing. All right, we're going to take our final break of the day here on News Talk, and when we come back, we're going to do something a little bit lighter. We're going to go out to the community of Harbor Grace, and we're going to speak with the Conception Bay Museum. Why? Well, because today is Amelia Earhart's birthday, and they are celebrating it in fine style out that way. We're going to have that conversation coming up when we come back. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on on your VOCM. And welcome back to the show. Richard Duggan in the studio with you this afternoon. And before we get to um, our interview with the Conception Bay Museum because of um, Amelia Earhart's birthday today that they are celebrating, I want to check in with today's VOCM News question of the day. There's still loads of time uh, for you to log on and uh, give your opinion uh, on this t- on uh, today's question of the day. Today we are asking, have you had trouble accessing taxi services? this summer and of course we've been hearing the stories uh, for a while now about a shortage of drivers uh, one of the many industries that have been hit by the labor shortage uh, and we've seen it at the airport uh, we've seen it uh, on George Street concerns were raised and just in general long uh, wait times when people are looking for a taxi um, some are saying that many of the issues have been resolved, but of course we're still hearing concerns from people that it's still taking a while uh, for people to get a taxi when they need one. So today's options on the question of the day, yes or no, very simple there, and 59% of people are saying no. They have not had trouble accessing taxi services this summer, and 41% saying yes, they have. Uh, Do you have an opinion on that? Go on, VOCM.com. Go over to the side, our little search bar there, and vote on today's VOCM question of the day. Now, I think we should have added a third option just to kind of work. The the third option should simply be, I haven't tried. That's true as well. Many people choosing to, I mean, it's been a gorgeous few days. Many people choosing to walk or bike. Uh, So very true. Right, because I haven't needed to get a cab in quite some time. I've got a 17-year-old that is more than happy to drive me around. (laughs) 
<laughs> Bond's king, living right? in the lap of luxury. Right? She is more than happy to drop me off to work and pick me up if it means that she can have the car during the daytime. And same for my wife. So, yeah, we haven't, like, my wife uh, travels a fair bit with her work. And my daughter has been more than happy to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and drop her off to the airport. Uh, <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly uh, happy. Well, she, she's happy after the drop-off is over and she has a car for a couple of days because my wife is out of town. Right? <laughs> but, yeah, I think we just should have added that third option. I didn't I, – I don't need a cab. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting there. Um, now we're going to take – a little bit of a trip we're going to take our own drive here on news talk we're going to go out to harbor grace uh the conception bay museum out there today they just wrapped up their celebrations uh, birthday celebrations for one of the most important figures in aviation history amelia Earhart was born on july 24th 1897 they're celebrating that occasion today one day uh, later, uh, Earhart has a special connection to the town as it was the starting point of her solo transatlantic flight all the way back in 1932. So, earlier today, I reached out with the vice chair of the museum, Brenda Hunt Stevenson, to talk about how they're celebrating the birthday of Amelia Earhart. Well, unfortunately, we, we didn't celebrated yesterday because of all the rain, uh, so we moved it to today, the 25th. Her birthday is actually July 24th. She was 126 years old, uh, but she didn't mind. She arrived today in fine style, and uh, we had cake and uh, drinks and balloons and streamers, and we had musicians. We had um, Denise and Paula and Long Drong entertaining. The children played games and had lots of fun. They sang, and, uh, and they actually interviewed uh, Amelia. Actually, uh, some of the children from the Splash Center, which is a wonderful center in the town, um, they came. They had questions for her. They came up on stage and asked her her questions, and she answered them in fine style. Yes, they had a great time. So for those who don't know, um, who was Amelia Earhart and what was her connection to Harbor Grace? Well, Amelia Earhart was a very brave lady back in the, uh, the early 1900s. In 1932, Amelia decided she was going to uh, do a transatlantic solo flight. Um, she arrived in Harbor Grace on uh, the 20th of May, and she left early, later that evening in 1932. Um, it, was, uh, it was a cold day, of course, and she left from our airfield, the Harbor Grace Airfield, which is still in use today. Um, it's a grassy field now, but at the time that Amelia left it, it was a, a gravel field. And uh, her, her plan was to land in Paris. Uh, unfortunately, uh, weather and some, some icing on the plane, uh, she ended up landing in a field in Derry, Ireland, a farmer's field, to the surprise of the farmer and his uh, family. How important has she been to aviation history? Oh, very important for a lady at that time um, to even dream of reaching the skies and, and uh, going above the clouds was unheard of at that time. It was a, it was a male field, so for a woman to accomplish that was, was quite a, a brave feat on her behalf. And to do it solo. She had flown before, um, and she had, you know, had trained as a pilot. And, by the way, her, her trainer was a female pilot. Um, but, but, again, as you know, during the World War One and Two, we had a lot of female pilots that certainly weren't uh, known to very many people. So she, that was a big feat for her to come to Newfoundland and to leave here and to travel across the Atlantic 
all by herself. So for young girls today to know that and to know that they can dream big, I think it's very important. To Harbor Grace, it's very important. We have a statue here of her. The, a lot of people visit our airfield and stand there and can envision her taxiing down that airfield and taking off. It's, uh, it's amazing how many visitors we have come just to do that. I can't imagine how scary that must have been to fly across the Atlantic by yourself, especially back then when all of this is still relatively new. That's right. And she, you know, she didn't have the technology we have today. So can you imagine? I just cannot imagine. So you can just, you know, her bravery was beyond the times. And now over the years, I know that we've covered um, the way that Harbor Grace and the museum has celebrated Amelia Earhart before. Why is it important to continue to celebrate her and to continue to promote her legacy? Well, it's important for the children coming up, isn't it? It's, it's, if we do not spread our history and talk about what's important to our history now, then our, our younger people won't know it. So that's why I feel it's important. It's also important for the tourist industry in the town, and it's important for visitors when they come. We have a lot of visitors come to our museum, and that's the one thing they always ask about is Amelia Earhart. They ask about Peter Easton, too, because this... This town is steeped in history, as many people know. But Amelia Earhart stands proud. When you drive down into the town, uh, you will come across a, a huge plane that was put there by the Pike family, Roger Pike family as a memorial to the aviation history in our town, but also you see a beautiful statue by Lubin Boykoff who, uh, of Amelia Earhart, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful statue, and she stands proudly there. She attracts a lot of visitors, so she's important to us. She's important to Newfoundland, uh, and she's important to aviation. And now that leads perfectly into my next question, actually. Just to, to, to speak generally, how has uh, things been going this uh, tourist season for the museum? Are you getting many people dropping in? Absolutely. We, and we just, we just went through a major uh, renovation at the museum. So we opened about two weeks ago. We opened on July 1st, actually, so it's more than two weeks ago. And we've seen a lot of visitors. We have a lot from the United States and from the rest of Canada. And, uh, yeah, it's been a very busy season. We have uh, three tour tour guides and uh, a wonderful curator and uh, we're, we're, we're very very busy so now you mentioned the renovations what's new now well, the renovations, we had a lot of new windows installed. Our, this is a building is, um, I think it's 150 years old, so you can imagine the brickwork uh, that needed to be done. We had some leaks, and so we had some brand-new windows put in. Actually, the glass is the same glass, if you can believe that. It's the same glass. So uh, we've had all of that worked on, and that was done over the, the winter, and um, so now it's just open and ready to go. We're ready to, uh, to uh, serve the public and spread as much history as we can. And so we, we spent a lot of time just now talking about what they can learn about Amelia Earhart if they come and visit the museum. What else can people learn about if they come out to Harbor Grace and they come into the Conception Bay Museum? Uh, well, they'll learn about Amelia Earhart for sure. They will certainly learn about uh, just general history of the town. And... Um, They'll, they'll see, or they will see, they go to the aviation room, which is newly done over the past couple of years. They will also see um, where Amelia Earhart uh, signed the book before she left, and that's on display upstairs in our aviation room. What, what sort of reactions do you get from people who come in for the first time? 
Well, most of the reactions are amazed that uh, that that's still there. That they they like to look at the. Uh, her um, signature for sure and they're surprised they have lots of questions and our tour guides and curator of course can answer all the questions and uh, so but yeah people are people are really interested in history and uh, that's one of the reasons why they come to the town and to the museum the museum attracts a lot of visitors to the town of Harbour Grace I must say Excellent. Brenda, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, best of luck with everything for the rest of the summer. Thank you very much. And by the way, this today is part of the uh, Pirates to Pilots Festival, which is ongoing all week. So there's lots of activities going on in the town this week. So there's a schedule, and uh, people could just go online, the Harbor Grace uh, Town uh, website, and uh, see the other things that we have going on in the town. So it's lots to celebrate. There you have it, folks. Head on out to Harbor Grace. Uh, Brenda, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time. And there you have it. That was my conversation there with Brenda Hunt-Stevenson of the Conception Bay Museum in Harbor Grace uh, discussing the birthday of Amelia Earhart and, as you just heard, uh, some of the other things that are going on in the town this week. All right, that's it. That's all the time we have for News Talk today. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning into the program. Thank you to Fonz uh, Behind the Glass for producing the show. Uh, Day in Review is coming up next with Noah Shepard, and Brian Callahan will be hosting News Talk uh, for the rest of the week. Have a great day, everyone.